Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest in Brownstein's Teleforum series. Uh, today's discussion will focus on the state and federal response to the COVID-19 pandemic. As Tara mentioned, my name is Christina Kleist. I'm an attorney and policy advisor with Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek in the firm's Nevada and Wyoming office, offices, and I am part of our government relations team. Today, I'm joined by two senior members of our team, and together we will summarize both the Nevada and federal response, discuss likely next steps, and try to answer any questions about these issues. There's a lot going on, it's moving very quickly, and the response, both state and federal, is unprecedented in scale and scope. First, let me introduce our other speakers, both of whom are well known to many in the audience. Neil Tomlinson leads our government relations team here in Nevada and has been practicing law as a state and local lobbyist for more than 20 years. He represents government relations clients in a wide range of industries, including transportation, gaming, healthcare, and financial services. Neil has been closely monitoring the state response to this crisis and will focus his remarks on what is happening here in Nevada. Greg Brower is a member of Brownstein's COVID-19 task force and he splits his time between our Washington DC office and here in Nevada. His practice is otherwise focused on litigation, administrative law, government investigations, and state and federal government relations. Greg will give us an overview of what the federal government has done so far. Again, once both Neil and Greg have completed their overviews, we will open it up to questions from the audience. To keep the line clear, we have everyone muted, so please utilize the chat feature to ask your question. Feel free to submit them throughout the presentation, and I will pose them to either Neil or Greg once they have completed their summaries. Just a note about the Q&A, while we will not be able to go into a lot of detail during this teleforum, especially about the federal legislation, which is still a work in progress, listeners should feel free to reach out to us later with any detailed questions. Neil, let me turn it over to you to talk about the situation here in Nevada. Thank you, Christina, and thank you to everyone out there who's joined us today. Certainly unprecedented times. Unfortunately, on a per capita basis, Nevada's been affected by this pandemic just about as hard as any place in the country. As of today, the current numbers include over 1,000 cases statewide, including 16 deaths so far, and that includes our first in Washoe County. Because of a shortage of testing kits and other equipment, we've only seen about 11,000 people in Nevada tested so far. And hopefully the new Nevada task force will, will help in that area. And hopefully that number will, will, in, number will increase additionally um, as we get more testing capabilities coming online, which is certainly uh, a part of both the, the state and the federal efforts. And Greg will talk about a little more on that on the uh, federal side of it. As we all saw, Governor Sislak was very quick to act in response to the growing crisis. He made a public statement more than two weeks ago in which he urged Nevada citizens and businesses to adopt common sense precautions aimed at mitigating the impact of the pandemic in our state. Beyond his very strong recommendations of mitigation efforts generally, the governor also ordered all casino operations to cease. And then over the next several days, as I'm sure many of you saw, the governor issued a series of written emergency directives, which included actual orders that closed schools, modified state government operations, and ordered the closure of certain categories of businesses within the state. Specifically, this, this was called emergency directive number three, 
and related emergency regulations. And these regulations defined what we call as essential and non-essential businesses. And, and he ordered that those deemed non-essential to close. This current order is in effect right now and through, through April 16th, but it certainly could be extended by another directive. Uh, we saw this morning that the Virginia governor issued a stay-at-home order in that state until June 10th. So certainly I think we can expect the April 16th date to be pushed out. It's just a question of when, and I think that's going to be a moving target based on the data. So by now, unless you've not left your home in the past week, you've likely noticed what types of businesses are still open and what types are not. I'll just give you a brief little summary of the governor's directive and what it actually says. The directive puts two types of businesses into the non-essential category. Now remember, non-essential, these are the ones that were ordered closed. Uh, those two areas are one, businesses that promote social and recreational gathering, and two, those businesses that promote extended periods of public inter interaction. So to give you some specific examples of those types of businesses, non-essential businesses that were ordered to close include nightclubs, theaters, massage parlors, fitness centers and pools, beauty and barbershops and various salons, and all such businesses uh, are currently not allowed to operate. In the essential category, the directive included a wide range of business types as well. And these businesses included businesses such as healthcare providers, grocery stores, convenience stores, pharmacies, banks, repair shops, hardware stores, mining operations, various manufacturing facilities, construction projects, and gas stations. These types of businesses are deemed essential by the governor's directive and may continue to operate uh, during the shutdown. So basically, any public-facing retail-type operation, other than the types I just listed, have been deemed non-essential and must be closed. You've probably no doubt noticed that certain restaurants are allowed to remain open, but only on the basis of a carryout or curbside service. Uh, there's no dine-in options uh, at this point anymore. The directive also clearly provides that businesses that do not comply with these restrictions may be subject to civil and even criminal penalties. In fact, several Clark County businesses have already been cited for violating the new rules, including some salons and retail stores and bars. The bottom line here is that Governor Sisolak has made it clear that he'll do whatever it takes to protect Nevada citizens and to mitigate the impact of this pandemic in accordance with CDC and other expert guidance. Now, the question of whether these new rules will extend past April 16th is unclear. Uh, they certainly could. Uh, they could be modified as well. Uh, but I would predict that unless we see a severe flattening of the number of new cases in Nevada, I think we can likely see an extension of these restrictions at least through the end of April and possibly into May at the very least. And like I said, there was an order that came out today in Virginia, which certainly could be modified or rescinded. Uh, but, you know, there are some orders in places going through June 10th. So I think it's certainly reasonable for us to expect that the June 16th date will be extended. I think I'll, I'll stop right there for now and uh, turn it back over to you, Christina. Thanks, Neil. Uh, and again, we'll have time at the end for any questions that Neil's overview may have presented. Uh, Greg, I'll go to you, and what can you tell us about the actions being taken in Washington to respond to the crisis? Greetings from my basement studio. 
in, in an undisclosed location inside the Beltway here near Washington, where I've been teleworking, uh, like uh, I guess just about uh, everyone else out there listening. So it's it's uh, in the best of times hard to make sense of what's going on in Washington, and it's certainly true here. Although unlike uh, recent times, Congress has done quite a lot in the last couple of weeks in response to this crisis. I mean, Washington, D.C., generally, uh, in terms of our federal government, has a very well-deserved reputation for dysfunction and not being able to get even the easy stuff done, typically. But again, a lot is happening right now, and a lot more uh, will be happening in the weeks and months ahead. So uh, let me uh, let me try to summarize for you what Congress has done so far. Um, and as I mentioned, it's been a lot. It hasn't always been pretty over the last couple of weeks, but uh, Congress has basically passed three significant uh, pieces of legislation with more on the way. The president and the presidential administration have obviously also played a, a role as well. Uh, and all of the laws, the new legislation we'll talk about, uh, have uh, been signed into law by the president. So here are some of the big things that have happened so far in terms of new legislation aimed at responding to the crisis. First, Congress passed and the president approved a Supplemental Appropriations Act a couple of weeks ago that provided approximately $8.3 billion in emergency funding for a variety of things, including domestic and global treatment and prevention efforts, along with some uh, relief for small businesses. This was done, as you may have noticed, very quickly uh, with no real debate, uh, given the emergency nature of the problem. And while it was an important first step, it was, uh, as I'll explain, really uh, not more than a drop in the federal bucket compared to what was to come and what is to come, I would predict, in the next uh, several weeks. Second, uh, Congress passed another bill, uh, which was called the Families First Act, which essentially provided billions more, and I'm going to be using billions with a B uh, throughout this discussion, eventually getting to trillions with a T, which is a, a figure we don't talk a lot about when it comes to appropriations bills. But the second bill, the Family First Act, uh, was primarily aimed at relief for ordinary citizens, uh, this included unemployment insurance uh, benefits, family and sick leave provisions, uh, nutritional assistance in terms of the various uh, federal programs that exist for, um, for nutrition assistance like SNAP, SNAP and, and food stamps and others. Um, and this was uh, no small task, but not to be outdone. Um, uh, was the third bill, which was the big bill that passed this past Friday that was the subject of some more controversy, as I'm sure some of you watched, uh, whereby the Senate in the House uh, at least kind of uh, pretended as though they might not come to an agreement, but finally did. This is the so-called CARES Act. And this bill created an additional uh, more than $2 trillion with a T dollars in funding for various types of relief. Thousands of pages long was this bill, very complicated with many, many provisions. And so uh, even the, the smartest policy wants in, in Washington are still kind of trying to sort this out and fully digest it. 
Uh, and there's a lot in there. This is by far, this CARES Act is by far the largest such funding bill in the history of the country. And as I mentioned, it won't be the last one. There may not be, likely won't be one this big passed in the coming weeks, but there will be additional uh, bills. This uh, bill, the CARES Act, is much more of a relief bill, and I'll describe some of the details, than a stimulus bill, although there, there are some stimulus bill aspects to it. But you can count on the the next round of bills to be much more aimed at economic stimulus uh, than relief. The CARES Act is intended primarily to address address what can only be uh, referred to as a, an economic calamity that's facing us right now as a result of this pandemic crisis. It takes a multifaceted approach aimed at helping workers with checks and other benefits, helping businesses with loans, tax relief, and other things, all aimed at enhancing liquidity for businesses that have been, many of which have been so hard hit by this crisis. Uh, and are experiencing, as a result, severely impacted cash flow situations. Uh, the other thing the CARES Act does is it really puts a lot of funding into helping our public health systems by providing funding and other benefits for hospitals and other healthcare providers uh, in the various uh, states and localities around the country. So let me, again, there's a lot to it. I couldn't possibly really even try to summarize the entire bill in this teleform, but let me try to offer some additional details at a very high level, uh, and then I'll do your best, do my best to answer any questions that you might have uh, when we uh, wrap up. So remember, this is a very complex piece of legislation, uh, hundreds and thousands, it's literally thousands of pages of detail. It is still, as I mentioned, being fully digested by other experts in our firm, uh, who are the real experts on the various tax and healthcare and employment provisions in the bill. Uh, but for now and in the time we have today, let me just try to summarize it as follows. So the first big category in the CARES Act that I should mention is the, the part of the bill that provides aid to individuals. And this is going to include <clears throat> tens of millions of people uh, receiving checks from the federal government. These will be income-based. And will be based, uh, the, the income cap will be, I think, $90,000 in annual income based upon individuals' 2018 tax returns. <clears throat> so for employers uh, on, the, on the call, rest assured that most of your employees, or, or as the case may be, former employees, will receive can look forward to receiving these checks, but there is an income-based cap, as you, I think, would expect. And those checks should be rolling out in the next few weeks. Beyond the, the actual cash payments to individuals, the bill includes significant increases in unemployment insurance benefits. The bill essentially overhauls this system, both expanding eligibility criteria and just increasing the amount of benefits that that uh, displaced workers can uh, can receive. There's also aid to large businesses, and we saw some debate about that in the Congress. Some thought maybe there was too much assistance for large corporations, and others 
of course, made the argument that uh, large corporations are large employers. And uh, to the extent that large corporations can be helped, that means that a lot of employees will be helped. And so the bill will provide for hundreds of billions of dollars in loans for large businesses, including for severely uh, distressed industries in the form of a very favorable loan, loans and, and grants as well. Some of the industries specifically targeted for assistance in this bill include the domestic airline industry, companies that are critical to our national security uh, and, and others. There are some strings attached. Uh, there are provisions in the bill that require corporations to adhere to certain salary caps for executives, restrictions on uh, stock buybacks and, and other, otherly, other similarly intended uh, restrictions. There's also a significant part of the CARES Act that is aimed at aiding small businesses. And this is quite frankly to be likely to be part of the bill that will mean the most to many of the businesses uh, in our community and that are represented on this call, as many of you will fit into the criteria uh, that, that define a small, small business for these purposes. These benefits range from zero interest loans uh, to grants. Um, nonprofit organizations can benefit um, in much of the same way that small businesses can. And so that's a that's a significant part of what Congress is trying to do in this bill. There's also a, a sizable tax relief component to the bill, more generous deductions, delays on, on payments, et cetera, in an effort to, again, enhance liquidity and help with cash flow for businesses, uh, including small businesses. Hospitals and healthcare providers also stand to benefit greatly from this piece of legislation. Uh, both with respect to uh, their ability to buy supplies and equipment and also helping with funding of community health centers around the country uh, and at the federal level with respect to funding of CDC and other federal national health care operations. There's also emergency aid for uh, state governments, local governments, and tribal governments, uh, billions and billions of dollars in the bill to assist local governments. And there, there are other things too. There's uh, dramatically increased funding for FEMA, for schools around the country, country for transit systems, uh, and for other governmental programs. But again, it's, it's probably the SBA loan and the other relief components that will likely be the most interesting to many of you and that you will be able to uh, likely directly benefit from Again, we don't really have time on this call to get into all of the, uh, the details, and there are a lot of details, but we do have a team of experts here at Brownstein that are doing that detailed analysis and are kind of gearing up uh, what is really kind of taking the form of a, a new practice group to help, to help businesses of all types navigate uh, that process. So finally, let me just try to address what, uh, what might happen next. As I mentioned at the outset, there will definitely be additional federal legislation, perhaps taking the form of several bills over the next several months. Uh, some will be simply intended to correct errors, and those of us who are familiar with the legislative process at the state level know that that is something that uh, 
every legislative legislative session starts with is a bill to correct errors from the last session. So there, there will be some of that. Fortunately, we won't have to wait uh, two years for another session. Congress is always in session. And although they're taking an Easter recess now, they'll be back to take up this additional legislation. So beyond correcting errors, there will be uh, additional legislation to address issues that were simply left out of the first three bills that were issues that were not thought of, issues that are developing and emerging uh, during the recess. Uh, but this will be ongoing for a while, likely as, as long as necessary to get our economy back up and running to its full capacity. And so, as I, as I have said, uh, the, the Brownstein government relations team in Washington has been fully engaged in this process and has been intimately involved in the crafting of the language of the first three bills. We will be continuing to help clients and frankly help Congress as it tries to uh, enact language and draft language going forward to continue this work. And we look forward to being involved with that. So that I think is a fair summary of what's happening here in Washington. I'm gonna stop there, uh, Christina, and turn it back over to you and uh, hopefully try to answer questions that might uh, have come up as a result of Neil's summary uh, and mine as well. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Um, yeah, that concludes our, our summaries for both Nevada and the federal response. And so we'll, we'll take a few questions. Um, I have one for Neil that uh, Governor Sisolak issued another emergency order yesterday relating to evictions. Can you describe that at all and, and what impact that might have? Yes, absolutely. Great question. Um, the governor did issue yesterday a statewide moratorium on both residential and commercial evictions. Um, there is a exception for uh, individuals that are deemed dangerous, but uh, he's put this moratorium on them and the moratorium will last through the end of the emergency order. So if the emergency order ends on April 16th, then that would likely end at that same time. Uh, now, if it gets extended, uh, the moratorium would be extended to whatever date uh, Governor Sisolak extends the emergency order. Perfect. And, and kind of a follow-up, um, do you think that Governor Sisolak will have to call a special session to address any of, of these issues once the, you know, kind of emergency has ended, but we're still in a, a vulnerable area when it comes to budget? Yes, it's absolutely being discussed. Uh, I know that it's it's a topic of discussion within the governor's office, the legislature, and all branches of government and business, really. Uh, I think it's uh, certainly a possibility. Uh, the timing of that uh, will be interesting and, and challenging at the same time. Uh, but I think certainly there's, there's a reasonable possibility that we'll have a special session uh, to address any number of things. You know, there's also uh, use of rainy day fund and other funding mechanisms that may need to be addressed. So I think certainly that's something that we'll need to keep an eye on and, um, and follow because it's certainly a possibility. Great, thank Christina, you. if I could follow up on, yeah, on that course. thought. Yeah, I, so having been through uh, my share of special sessions over the years, they typically have been some things that governors have not wanted to do until unless something is absolutely necessary. And of course, in Nevada, a special session can only be done pursuant to a list of, 
of issues or topics that the governor promulgates. And so it can't just wide open a, a new session up for anything that the legislature may want to take up. But I, I agree with, with Neil. Um, I haven't heard any legislator tell me that they're planning on one, but I just have to believe that given the scope of this crisis, including the impact that it, it's having and it will have on the state budget, there's likely to be something or some list of things that Governor Sisolak will want to do and that may well have very broad support for him to accomplish, but that will need legislative approval. And that, of course, means a legislative session. And so it's, I guess, too early to tell. But for those who watch Carson City closely, I would not be surprised if, uh, if we see a special session. Great. And, and Neil, there is one question kind of relating to Trump's extension of, of the federal guidance and, and Governor Sisolak's uh, emergency orders with the April 16th date. Could you maybe comment on how those work together and coincide? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think that certainly Governor Sisolak is likely to extend his order at least through April 30th uh, to match the, the the federal declaration, so I think that's certainly that's a that's that's reasonable for us to assume that will happen. Uh, I think the bigger question is whether it will extend past the end of April, and, and I think that's certainly a possibility as well. Uh, like I said, Virginia's governor issued their stay-at-home order through June 10th, which I believe is the the longest uh, time we've seen so far. Um, so I think it remains to be seen, uh, but I think certainly. People should plan on at least April 30th and potentially beyond. I think a lot's going to depend on what the numbers and data show us, uh, how this thing develops, you know, on a daily basis. Obviously, it change, changes by the minute. Uh, so I think you have to keep on top of things. But I think certainly April 30th is where we should be planning for. And I think that that's certainly uh, a strong possibility will be extended at least through then, if not further. Yeah, let me agree with Neil on that, Christina, and also just make the observation that may be obvious to a lot of folks out there who have been following this closely, and that is that when it comes to these these uh, shutdown or closure orders, it's really the governors who are, and to some extent local governments, but really the governors who are making those decisions. What we've heard from the federal government is more kind of aspirational, uh, well-intentioned and logical, but more along the lines of uh, the president and others, CDC and others, urging Americans to, uh, to take certain precautions. But we see governors now actually issuing orders, uh, actually mandating the closure of businesses, as Neil summarized earlier. In Virginia today, uh, where I'm sitting, the governor issued uh, an order or is about to, he did a press conference, he's about to issue a written order, as did the governor of Maryland next door basically telling people that they should not leave their homes except to uh, attend necessary medical appointments, to go to work if they're still working, to go to the grocery store, even to be able to go on a walk. I think that's largely what most smart Americans have kind of limited their activities to at this point, uh, those types of activities and nothing more. But there's enough uh, what you might call kind of stupid, uh, careless behavior going on out there that increasingly governors are aggressively telling people, hey, if you don't absolutely have to go out, just stay inside. 
Great. And going back to you know the the CARES Act and the relief that that comes with it, um, considering the size and complexity, will that require any rulemaking? And if so, do you have any information about that process? Yes, uh, great question, Christina. The, you know, and the, the lawyers on the call in particular know that uh, any piece of legislation this comprehensive and this complicated uh, almost inevitably has to be followed by some regulations that actually define some of the, the detailed ways in which Congress intended the new law to be implemented. And so that, that, uh, that process is underway. Uh, there's, in effect, an emergency you know, rulemaking process underway in various departments and agencies. That, I suspect, will be a process that is every bit um, is lobbied every bit as much as was the, the actual legislative process for all the usual reasons. But yes, it's going to take a while to sort out the regulations. Uh, and I, I would imagine that, uh, you know, typically these things take months. Uh, but it's going to be a matter of weeks in this case. And so uh, stand by for, for regulations as they roll out here in the next week or two or three. And, and will those regulations include, you know, how all these forms of relief work together? Because it seems like it's quite confusing to many that, you know, I can get this type of relief or that type of relief and they're not quite sure which one they could, could utilize. Yeah, there there is a lot of that. Again, I think it's inevitable with a piece of legislation this big and this um, complex and, and something that was this uh, quickly put together. So, right, uh, Small Business Administration undoubtedly will be uh, promulgating rules to, to govern its process that so many more businesses will be taking advantage of now. The Department of Treasury will have uh, a huge undertaking uh, on its hands with respect to promulgating rules, uh, with respect to all the tax and other issues that are part of this bill. So, yeah, if, you know, and <laughs> those of us who deal with regulations um, might be thinking, great, if it wasn't complicated enough already, when the regulations come out, it's going to be even more complicated. But of course, that's not the intent. The regulations are intended to, if not simplify things, at least clarify things. And so uh, we can expect that. Great, and um, you know what does what do these how how do these new programs how will, will they be paid for? Well, that that's the the biggest question, and I guess the, but the easiest one to answer, right? The the answer uh, in short is that the federal government can borrow money and can go into deficit spending. Something that, uh, at least in Nevada and and in most states, we 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 can't do. And so, if you're going to plus up spending for Program X at the state level, you've got to get the money from somewhere, which means you either cut other things or you raise taxes. In the federal system, as most of us know, the government borrows money, goes into deficit spending, and that's exactly what's going to be happening here. The, the conventional idea thought at this point, obviously, is that it's more important to provide relief, provide uh, health care um, services, and to boost the economy and keep people working or at least keep people able to pay their bills. All of that is more important than concerns, uh, more, more academic, if you will, concerns about a grown deficit or um, debt. 
And so that, you know, that's just the predicament our country is in now. And frankly, from my perspective in Washington, there's not a whole lot of pushback on the fact that we simply have to spend this money right now, given the nature and the scope of the crisis. You don't, you don't hear a lot from fiscal hawks uh, complaining about the fact that this is going to, um, that this is in, in any way wasteful government spending that is going to uh, increase the deficit even further. That's just not not something that people are saying. This is Neil. I, Christine, I see on the, uh, the on the chat there's a question about uh, construction and supporting businesses. Uh, construction projects right now uh, they are allowed to continue. Uh, they in fact are continuing. They are supposed to follow those CDC distancing and other guidelines. Um, there's been reports that that's not always happened, and there have been some positive cases uh, coming from construction projects. So that could be addressed further in the future. But as of today, and under the governor's uh, current orders, construction projects are allowed to continue, and that would include uh, supporting businesses for them. Uh, but at the same time, that that also contemplates that those same businesses follow the CDC guidelines and distancing, you know, to to the extent possible. So uh, hopefully that answers that question. And I also wanted to add a little bit about the the new task force that we have. We have a task force that the governor has helped put together. It's formally called the Nevada COVID-19 Response, Relief, and Recovery Task Force. Uh, there's eight members on the task force, including Jim Murren and Senator Kinsella. And they have, there's a website uh, that is, they've established already, and they've already been able to generate $4 million in donations. And the website, just for everyone's knowledge, it's nvc19.org. Again, nvc19.org. And really what the task force is, is trying to do is they're trying to connect resources with community needs. Uh, there's, there's a gap sometimes in how quickly some funding can come from government uh, sources. And so they're trying to create a pool of money where certain things can be provided. Uh, for example, they're specifically looking at medical equipment that may be necessary, including personal protective equipment, PEE, also additional test kits. Uh, so things like that, things that are, that are needed uh, right now uh, and there might be some government red tape preventing that. And so that's, that's kind of the, the thrust and the mission of the task force is to try to help find solutions to make sure that if we have resources available in the community that they're getting where they're, where they're needed. Uh, that includes uh, numerous businesses have donated uh, different medical supplies, including masks and other things. Uh, so the task force is really trying to uh, find things that the community needs and make sure that those same things get to the places that need them, whether it be hospitals or clinics or what have you. So uh, that's that's going forward now. And like I said, uh, there's a website out there, nvc19.org, uh, that has a lot more information about about the task force. Yeah, let me just, thanks, Neil, for that, for uh, bringing that up. That's a very important new development here in Nevada. And so as not to confuse our task forces, um, there's nothing like a crisis of this proportion to create a, all, all types of task forces. We have, of course, the federal government task force that you've seen um, various members of providing briefings on TV. Uh, we have the task force Neil just described, which the governor has just put together. 
and is being chaired by Jim Murren and is going to do um, it has a tremendous challenge ahead of it and is already off to a great start, as Neil mentioned. And then within our firm here at Brownstein, we put together a task force just within the firm that's really just aimed at making sure that client needs are being met uh, from every type of, of practice perspective we have in the firm, corporate, real estate, litigation, tax, uh, government relations. We're, we're trying to just kind of coordinate our efforts so as to make sure clients are getting what they need. Yeah, it's it's many, many task force out there. And let me, if I could just also uh, double down on what Neil said with respect to the question about construction. You know, construction, uh, manufacturing, a few other industries are very fortunate that they're deemed essential and they're basically up and running. In some case, cases running uh, at uh, uh, peak capacity because of the demand for certain things. But it's really important that those types of companies, and we've been advising clients in those types of businesses for the last couple of weeks, of the importance of following the CDC guidelines and making sure they're taking care of their people so as to be able to stay in business and, and to have a healthy workforce. And they should consider themselves fortunate that uh, unlike many other businesses like gaming, for example, which is completely shut down, um, those other businesses are lucky to be up and running and and. And now is the time to to be careful, take care of the people, and uh, and stay up and running. Perfect. So, um, I guess this would this question would relate more to the the federal bills coming out than state, but to a state extent, to to a state level to some extent as well. What kind of oversight will there be for all these programs with you know the as you mentioned, the billions with a B and trillions with a T, um, that's, a, that's a lot of money and, and who's gonna be monitoring all of it? Yeah, it, it, it is a lot of money. And um, the, you know, the federal government has a, uh, in the best of times has a very robust process uh, and system in place for monitoring how government uh, funds are spent. And, and that primarily is carried out through the various offices of inspector general that reside in, in the departments and agencies of our federal government where uh, audits and investigations aimed at rooting out waste, fraud, and abuse are, are done every day. That will continue uh, on steroids, you might say. And in fact, some of the key offices of inspector general uh, within the federal government received uh, significant budget increases uh, in the various legislation that has passed so far so that they can increase their operational tempo in accomplishing that task. But there's also likely to be a, uh, a new uh, inspector general appointed whose job it will be to set up a special office to just to review all of the relief and spending programs that are part of this uh, coronavirus response. Uh, not unlike what was done for um, Iraq and Afghanistan uh, reconstruction. A special IG was created to oversee all of that thing as well. So rest assured that the Congress did have oversight in mind when it passed these bills. That's never an easy thing to do when you're talking about spending on the scale of this, but uh, there is a mechanism in, in, in this legislation to ramp up oversight. Good question. Great, and there are a few questions, you know, that kind of get a little more detailed relating to the relief, um, you know, the EIDL and the SDA loans. I don't know that 
you know, you're that one of the skilled members of our task force with that information, but I don't know if you can comment on that at all. Well, you can try, uh, go ahead and try me, Christina, if you have specific questions from the audience. I'll likely have to say that uh, we will point them in the right direction. I probably won't have an answer, but let's try. Right, so one is, uh, will the EIDL offer any forgiveness aspects to small business owners similar to the PPP? Yeah, as I predicted, I, I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head, but it, it is, I mean, suffice to say that this is an unprecedented, I mean, we all wish that, that there wasn't a need for it, of course, but this is an unprecedented effort by the federal government to provide relief to small businesses, whether it's in the form of, of low interest loans, of tax forgiveness or tax you know, holidays, of grants. There's a lot in there. And I can only recommend to, to those businesses to you know, take, take a look at uh, the various summaries that are coming out. We, we're putting out on our website at uh, bhfs.com, we're putting out a new client alert just about like twice a day, uh, trying to explain all these uh, different, different programs um, and, and the new legislation. But talk to your lawyer, talk to your accountant, uh, look at the SBA website, and by all means, follow up with us. Follow up with us if if you do have detailed questions in terms of what might apply to you and what you know, might your best strategy might be. But there's a lot there, and and as I said earlier, uh, many of these uh, these relief aspects of the bills also applies to nonprofits. And so, uh, but but I will also say that that. While there will likely be more legislation, and that could even include increased uh, funding for the programs we're talking about, there, there obviously isn't an infinite number of dollars that will be available. So it's important, I think, for, for businesses, uh, despite everything they, else they have going on right now, to, to try to get a handle on what might work best for them. But uh, unfortunately, I, I'm not the SBA expert, uh, but we certainly have people who can help. And, and to tie back to something you said earlier, a lot of that will also come through the regulations, correct? That's right. Although I would say that for many, many, indeed most small businesses, the, um, th there's already an opportunity. Uh, if you go to the SBA website, I think that they have a, um, they're starting to put up forms and applications that can be filled out and submitted already. Um, and some of this is going to be and is intended to be, frankly, very simple, because of course it's intended to benefit small businesses uh, that, frankly, don't have the time or oftentimes the money to hire legal counsel to help. And so, I would advise uh, listeners to to go to the SBA website and and see if they can find what they're looking for, uh, and if it makes sense. And if not, uh, get help from from your accountant, from a lawyer. But uh, the SBA has already started to to put this up on their sites. Perfect. Well, we're getting close to the end, so perhaps I'll give you each a couple minutes to do any final remarks that you might have. I'll jump in first. Uh, this is Neil again. Um, so I've posted on the chat side. If you're if you're logged in on your laptop, I've posted uh, both. Uh, the website for the Nevada COVID-19 Task Force, which is NVC, 
1919.org. And also for different alerts and more information on the, the topics we discussed, you can go to the Brownstein website, which is bhfs.com. So I've also posted those addresses into the um, chat portion of the Blue Jeans app if you're uh, online uh, listening to this. Um, I would just say, look, I think the, the key to, to all of this is to stay flexible. It, it changes uh, by the minute, uh, literally. So it's, you know, it's, it's tough to adapt, but we have to adapt. We are adapting. Everybody's adapting, all different types of businesses uh, and individuals. And, you know, I think that's the name of the game, and it's going to stay the name of the game to be flexible uh, for, you know, if not the next 30 days, uh, potentially the next 60 days. You know, I, we just don't know how long it's going to take. Uh, and then, of course, you know, even once emergency orders are lifted, there's going to be uh, a significant amount of time, especially for a city like, like Las Vegas, to, to ramp up to the levels and, and the economic status that we had before. It's going to take time. It's going to take time for people to start getting back into their routines and going out to meals and going to gatherings. I think you're going to see a lot of people, even when an emergency order is lifted, they're still going to be reluctant to engage the way that they had been prior to the pandemic. So I think that businesses need to plan for and account for that because it's not going to be an instantaneous return to business levels that everyone was accustomed to. It's, it's going to take time. It's going to take, in my opinion, it's going to take months, uh, if not longer. So uh, I think that's that's really the only parting comment I would have. And you know, certainly if anyone uh, wants to reach out for more information, I'll also um, add into the chat area of the Blue Jeans app uh, my email and Greg's email and Christina's emails as well. So thank you. Thanks, Neil. Uh, let me just uh, close by offering a couple of observations. Uh, one is that uh, you know there's clearly no silver lining to this uh, this crisis at all, unless I guess you're in the toilet paper manufacturing business and your factories are all working 24/7 and you can't make enough of the stuff because people are buying it. But if you're in virtually any other business, there's there's this, there's no silver lining to this. I think what what businesses do need to be looking for though is to be um, to be aware of all of the survival tools uh, and programs that are out there to get through this. I think, as Neil said, as soon as uh, this is over, it's not like we're going to be back to business the way it was overnight. But I have to believe, uh, and I really have to believe this about, about Las Vegas in particular, you know, all of the demand for your various businesses uh, that was there before is going to be back eventually. And so it's really just a matter of kind of getting through this tough spot. And the government is doing um, is it, its level best, as I think we've summarized, to to provide programs and relief uh, where it can. And again, that will continue to evolve and change to try to meet the needs of people and businesses going forward. But take advantage of that. Get the help you need to take advantage of that. Uh, stay uh, safe above all. Uh, and I think with a collective uh, community effort, we can we can and will uh, get through this. But it's it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be over anytime soon, I'm afraid. But if if we can uh, help you, and in fact, I'm I'm thinking as as I'm talking here, the SBA questions in particular have been helpful because I think I think what we probably ought to do is do another one of these 
to address specifically SBA issues and have some members of our SBA team um, on the call to address uh, the questions because I think I think that's going to be most helpful. But um, uh, you know, collectively we'll get through this, and and uh, we we do really appreciate what you're going through, and we appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Great, thank you guys, and thank everyone for joining. And if we can answer any additional questions, as Neil mentioned, our, our emails are there. And uh, stay safe out there. <laughs>